God's word is before us now, and I want to ask that we carefully consider it. I know that you've gotten settled in, and often we have our scripture reading earlier in service, but let's have it now. I think it's best for us to have it now. So if you can stand, if you're able to stand, let's read together from God's word, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll begin reading where we ended last week at verse 23 and then following. Hebrews 10. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while... And the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Almighty God. If we were writing the Bible, we would have not written such words. But you are God. Too good to be unkind. Too wise to be mistaken. And you speak the truth in love. These words that we have read, so challenging. But they are loving. May we hear your voice and give us a heart of wisdom to respond to what the Spirit is saying. 
And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Now, in August, we will return to Hebrews and that study. Hebrews 11, what a great thing that will be as we look at that, that hall of faith, so to speak. All those champions that have gone before us, men and women of faith who now are like the audience in the heavenlies who watch us while it is our time to run the race of faith. Look forward to that. But the theme of faith really doesn't begin in chapter 11 Honestly, it actually begins to show itself here in the, in the last verses that we've just read of Hebrews chapter 10. Now, faith here, we are told not so much what it is. Even as we go through Hebrews chapter 12, the, uh, 11 rather, the discussion is not so much on what faith is, but what faith does. What faith does. And this morning, I want us to see there is one key thing God says that true faith does. One key attribute of true faith. Faith finishes. Faith finishes. Faith doesn't quit. Faith endures. Faith perseveres. True faith. False faith is a faith that doesn't endure. It is a faith for a moment, a faith for a few days, maybe even a few years. But it is a faith that does not last because it's not true, it doesn't persevere, it doesn't go on, it turns back. The warning that our writer, the writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration is, has been giving so often, and this is the fourth great warning passage in the book of Hebrews. The warning is don't turn back. He's speaking particularly to Jewish people who have professed faith in Jesus as Messiah, but now with persecutions and trials and difficulties, they're, they're thinking about going back. Some have gone back. They've turned their back on Messiah. They've turned their back on Jesus and gone back to their other way. And this is a warning. It's a warning passage. Don't turn back. Because to turn back is a dreadful sin. It is a sin called apostasy. Apostasy. That is what this passage is. It is a warning about apostasy. And you have heard me read God's word. And this is a fearful warning. This may be the strongest passage of warning anywhere in the New Testament. It is fearful. It, it is heart-seeking. It goes to the depths of our souls and challenges us with a warning about apostasy, a repeated warning, don't 
turn back. Don't turn away from Christ. Because to turn your back on Christ is apostasy, the most dreadful and terrible of all sins. Now notice as the writer is challenging them not to turn back, he talks about the character of apostasy. What is apostasy like? And so it might be good for us to make sure that we define apostasy. What is apostasy? What is it that the Lord is warning about here so dreadfully? Well, apostasy can be defined this way. This is the way I will define it, my understanding, to try to help you this morning, help me. Apostasy is an intentional turning away and defection from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what apostasy is. It is an intentional turning away and defection from the Lord Jesus Christ. Key phrases, turning away and defection. Because that's what the word means. The Greek word is apostia. Apostia, and it means literally to turn from where you once were standing. To turn away from the place that you once were. In, in classical Greek, before the common Greek of the New Testament, it was a word for rebellion or armed revolt or revolution. So apostasy is, in its very concept, it is a revolt against Jesus Christ. Apostasy is a turning away, a rejecting of the Lord Jesus Christ so that someone who intentionally turns away, rejecting and revolting against the Lord Jesus Christ is an apostate. This is a warning about, an apost about apostasy. It's a warning about becoming an apostate. Now, to make sure that we understand what we're talking about, I want us to look at verse 26 in detail for a moment because verse 26 tells us what apostasy is and what it isn't, okay? This is the character of apostasy. First of all, this is what apostasy is. It is, first of all, an internal rejection. And when I use the word internal, I'm talking about within the church. Apostasy is not a sin outside the church. It's a sin inside the church. It's not a sin committed by the people who have nothing to do with the church. It is a sin committed by people who have and maybe still do associate with the church. Notice he uses the word we. Look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning after having received, deliberately sinning after having received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins. Notice he says we. He's not talking about them out in the world. He's talking to the professing body. We. 
Nobody knows a person's heart except God himself. And that's the reason some of the most dreadful warnings in the Bible are directed to the body of Christ because only God knows the heart. But we can challenge ourselves, and we are challenged. This is directed to people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. This sin and this warning is directed to those who are counted within the assembly or who have been counted as part of the assembly. This is inside the church, as I said, not outside the church. It is an internal rejection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is a willful rejection, a willful rejection of Christ. Notice verse 26, if we go on sinning deliberately. Do you see that word? Deliberately. That means with clear thinking. It means premeditatedly. It's like the difference in our laws, in our legal system between manslaughter and first degree murder. Someone's life has been taken, but on the one hand, the life was taken out of a moment of rage or out of a moment of confrontation, a loss of control. That, that might be manslaughter. But first degree murder is premeditated. It means the person thought it through, analyzed how he or she was going to do it, and with pre-thinking, premeditation, took that person's life. This is what apostasy is like. It is not falling into sin. That's not what apostasy is. It's not someone who's struggling with sin and fighting against a particular temptation. That's not what apostasy is. Apostasy is not fighting against sin. Apostasy is when a person is delighting in sin. They claim to be a Christian. They profess to be a Christian. But they don't fight against sin. They don't struggle. They don't fall and get up and go forward. But they delight in sin. And yet say they're a Christian. It's premeditated. Notice it's enlightened sinning. It's not sin of ignorance. It's sin in full knowledge of the truth. Look at verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after having received the knowledge of the truth, the word knowledge there, epinosis, full knowledge, not someone who's just early in the faith, not someone who just only knows a little bit about the truth of the gospel. This is someone who has been enlightened with full knowledge. Of what it means, the gospel, the new covenant, the message of Jesus. This is willful rejection, deliberately and with enlightenment, rejecting Christ, revolting against Christ. Here's the third characteristic it's internal rejection. Secondly, it is a willful rejection. Thirdly, verse 26, the writer says it is a continual rejection. 
For if we go on sinning, it doesn't mean a sin now and then. It doesn't mean a falling into sin, as I said earlier. It doesn't mean a struggling and crying out for forgiveness. But the word sinning here means a practice of sinning. It means a lifestyle of sinning. This is a person who, yes, goes to church, who has full knowledge of the truth, who understands the claims of Christ, but determinedly goes out and lives an ungodly life without the control of the Lord who has said, I will come to church, I do believe this, but I'm not going to have Jesus rule my life. That's apostasy. You might want to turn in your Bibles. I'll read it. But first John, John warns about this. The, the, the apostle of love, John, warns about apostasy more than anybody else. And listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. This is apostasy. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Guess what the terrible thing about being deceived is? You don't know you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. So he says, know the truth. Let no one deceive you so that you will actually be thinking wrong thoughts. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Not so people could live the works of the devil. Jesus died and rose to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why is that? For God's seed, that's the spirit, the new nature. God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's pretty clear. Please read it that way. Don't read it like the comedian W.C. Fields read the Bible once. You know that comedian from the old days? In his deathbed, somebody went to visit him. Caught him reading, reading a Gideon Bible. And the man, one of his drinking buddies, said, W.C., you... What are you doing? You're reading? You're getting religion? He said, no, I'm just looking for loopholes. Don't read the Bible looking for loopholes. Words have meaning. 
The character of apostasy is this. It's the rejection of the Lord. It's not the rejection of some minor point of theology. It's not that we agree to disagree on something. It's not differences of opinion about how the church should worship. It's not differences of philosophy about how you live your life. That's not apostasy. Apostasy is the willful rejection of Jesus Christ as master of your life. It is saying, I will not have Jesus be master of my life. And when that sin happens... It produces consequences. The consequences of apostasy are what? Rejection. But now listen carefully. The consequences of apostasy are rejection. Rejection by the Lord. What does an apostate say to God? I reject you. I reject you. I will be the captain of my faith. I will be the one who runs my life. I will not have God run my life. I reject his lordship. And the response of God is, then I reject you. I reject you. Here are the consequences of apostasy. They're written for us beginning in verse 27 down through verse 31. These consequences of apostasy, they are horrible beyond the telling. But we are told. We are told. The God who put John 3.16 in the Bible also wrote these words, right? What are we told about the consequences of apostasy? What happens to an apostate in his life or her life? What happens? Number one, apostasy is a sin for which there is no sacrifice. It is a sin for which there is no sacrifice. Verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately after we have received the full knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What does that mean? Here's what it means. If you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject Jesus Christ the Lord, and Jesus Christ the Lord is the only sacrifice for your sins, if he is the one and only sacrifice for sins and you reject him, there is no other sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice. When you reject Jesus Christ and you repudiate Jesus Christ, you have repudiated the only person who can save you. There is no other sacrifice. It is apostasy. Listen carefully. It is the unpardonable sin. Because it is the sin for which there is no sacrifice. There is no sacrifice to cover the sin 
of a person who rejects the one who died for their sin. That's the first consequence of apostasy. It's a sin for which there is no sacrifice. And secondly, the consequence is a future in which there is no hope. A future in which there is no hope. Dante, the renowned poet of Italy from the 14th, 15th century, wrote a lengthy poem called The Inferno. It is a huge story in poetic form told out of hell, the lives of the people in hell. But in this poem... Here is what Dante says is inscribed over the entrance to hell. Inscribed over the entrance to hell is this statement. Abandon all hope, you who enter here. Abandon all hope, you who enter here. There is no hope for those who enter the gate of hell. But now, friend, listen to how terrible apostasy is. An apostate has already passed the gate. He has not yet died. She has not yet died but they've already passed the point of no return. There is no hope. Nothing awaits the apostate who is yet breathing and their heart is pumping. There is nothing yet that awaits them but the holy wrath of a holy God. They have gone beyond grace. It's a holy wrath against idolatry. Why would God, why would God speak this way against a sin? Because it's idolatry, it's apostasy, it is making yourself God. Verse 28, he says, think about the Old Testament. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses, that's the old covenant, died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. What's this talking about? It's talking about those who practice idolatry. God said to Moses, if you find someone who's practicing idolatry in the camp, they are infecting the people of God with their idolatry. You are to take them out once it has been proven beyond doubt and they are to be executed. That was under the old covenant. Now listen to what God says under the new covenant. Verse 29. How much worse punishment. Worse than stoning. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. 
How awful is this sin? It's this awful. This is how God sees the sin of apostasy. And remember, it's a sin within the church. It's a sin among those people who say they are believers. Think what God says about apostasy. He says this is what it is. This person has trampled on the Son of God. He has full knowledge that Jesus died for him. Jesus bled for him. Jesus gave his life for him. Jesus stretched out himself on the cross and accepted the wrath of God for him. Yet this person tramples under feet. The loving, righteous son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, tramples on him. He has profaned the sacred blood of the covenant. What's that mean? The blood of Jesus means nothing to him. The blood of Jesus is no more important to him than a Coca-Cola. The blood of Jesus means nothing. He has no interest. He's not touched by the message of the blood of the Lamb. He has outraged the spirit of grace. What does that mean? The spirit of grace has been... Holy Spirit has been calling and wooing and saying, Come, come, look to Christ, look to Christ, look to the one who bore your sins, look to the one who died for you, look to this great salvation. And he has outraged that spirit of grace. It literally means he has spit in the face of the Holy Spirit. I hear you calling me to surrender to Jesus. I hear you telling me to give my life for the Lord. I hear you telling me to come and Jesus died for me. And by that the apostate has provoked the infinite wrath of the infinite loving and holy God. Friends, listen, God is love, but God is holy. God does not trifle with those who repudiate Jesus, who spit in the face of the Holy Spirit, who say, I will not have this Christ rule over me. He does not take this lightly. He is all loving and all holy. And it is either to step in and accept by faith his all loving grace and to abide there, or it is to abide under his infinite wrath. Verse 30, for we know him. We know God. This is not the God that people have made their, in their, out of their own mind. This is not Santa Claus. This is not God that man has created in his own image. That ungodly reprobate Voltaire, the French philosopher, said, God created man in his own image and man returned the favor. We have created a God that pleases us. We have created a God in this country that we say we trust and we wouldn't know in a 40-acre field. We've created a God that we think abides by our rules. That's not God. This is God. We know Him. God said, God said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think about it. Spit in the face of the Holy Spirit. Trample on the neck of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stomp on the blood of the covenant and then come face to face with the God who did it all for you. It's a fearful thing. The fearful thing to trifle with the living God. I take no joy in this message. But how could I be a faithful messenger of Jesus and not share this? How could I stand before my Lord someday and say, I just couldn't do it, Lord. I couldn't do this message. Some of you here point your finger at me on the day of judgment and say, Sam Polson, you didn't warn me. But God is my witness. Nobody, whoever attends this church, will point their finger in my face on the day of judgment and say, I did not tell them the truth. I, I don't, I thank God, I thank God for your applause. But it is the reality of God's truth, all the truth, not just the part that we enjoy, but the part that reaches the depths of our souls. God forbid, God forbid, that there should be someone here this morning that you've trampled underfoot the Lord Jesus and his precious blood. You have spit in the face of the Holy Spirit and you're beyond hope. I pray that is not the case. So let us all, let us all beware Beware. And how do we beware lest this should ever describe us? How do we beware? That's where the writer takes us. He says, this is how you beware of this happening to you. Be aware of the Lord's challenge. You beware of becoming an apostate by being aware and following the Lord's challenges. And what are they? Very quickly. The challenges to avoid apostasy. The key word in verse 32, the two key words, but recall, recall. That doesn't mean just remember something in the past. It means fix your mind. Fix your mind on some things. What are we to stay focused on? What are we doing? We're running the race. Faith endures. Faith perseveres. I'm running with, with patience. The race that is set before me. How do I do it? Focused. 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 This is not a game. This is life. Eternity is in the balance. I need to stay focused. What do you focus on? These things. Number one. Focus on relationships in Christ. Value deep relationships with people in Jesus Christ who will love you enough to speak into your life and you will love them enough to speak into their life. Verse 24 and 25, let us consider, let us think through how to stir up one another 
to love and to good works, not neglecting. Let's not neglect gathering together. That doesn't just mean worship services, but you are looking for opportunities to gather with some people who will help you and you help them stir up your faith. Value this. You say, I don't want to be an apostasy. Then stop being a lone ranger. Stop thinking it's all about you. Stop being a face in the crowd. And for the love of Jesus Christ, admit you are part of a relationship with others. They need you and you need them. That is the truth, the gospel truth. You live this Lone Ranger life of yours. March in and march out and you have no association with people that are calling you to Christ and calling, you're calling them to Christ. You're in danger. They're in danger. Build these relationships. I don't know. We have a smorgasbord of them. And even if we don't have them, have coffee with some Christians. Sit down. Go to Dunkin' Donuts, the holy place. Get, get with some people. Talk it out. People who love you enough, they will not pat you on the back when you're not doing right, and you won't pat them on the back when they're not doing right. That's true friendship. Come on in, folks. Some of you have been out there on the outskirts, out there for decades. When are you going to build relationships that are going to help you not end up like this? And you'll help somebody else. How terrible to not help people not become apostates. Focus on relationships with Christ. Number two, focus on riches in Christ. Don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you do have. Look at verse 32. Recall the former days when you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed. You were put out of the synagogues, is what he's saying. You were, you were made a laughingstock. And you became partners with people who were treated that way. You had compassion even on people who were put in prison for their faith. And look at this. Here's a miracle. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. <laughs> the government took your property because you were a Christian. Your property was taken from you. And you were saying, thank you. You've not made me poorer. You've made me richer. I'm building up riches. Hey, you forgot the rocking chair. Get that too. You're helping me out here. What can the world take away from you that lasts? What is your net worth? Your net worth is what you have that money can't buy and death can't take away. That's your net worth. That's your net worth. And here were people saying, Wow, this is storing up a reward for me in heaven. They, they actually could enjoy suffering for the sake of the gospel. They were like the early apostles who counted it a privilege to have people make fun of them. 
who didn't get all bent out of shape when they heard talk radio making fun of the Christian faith. They didn't get all angry when they heard comedians ridiculing Christianity. They didn't get bent out of shape when someone mistreated them. They expected to be mistreated. One of the greatest quotes of any movie I've ever watched is actually a a, uh, series called Band of Brothers about easy company, paratroopers. At the Battle of the Bulge, they were surrounded and someone came up to them from another company and said, hey, do you guys know you're surrounded? And here's the answer. We're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. We're Christian. We're supposed to be surrounded. Because in this world, we have no enduring reward. We are not of this world. We are in this world, but our citizenship, where's that? Oh, wow. In heaven. Wow. Focus on your riches in Christ. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. My friend, you may not have two pennies to rub together. But if you know Jesus, you are more infinitely rich than the most wealthy person on the face of the earth. Focus on the rewards. People say, well, you know, I don't believe in living for rewards. Have you read your Bible? I mean, do you run the race to come in second? No. You're not trying to beat somebody else. You're not trying to make it all about you. But you run the race to do your best. Because if you're a Christian and you're running the race, who are you doing it for? Jesus, who's at the finish line. It's all for him. And so you do your best. Verse 35. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. You don't have to think about it. Let me flip it on you. It's not that you win the race. It's that you finish the race. Everybody who finishes the race is rewarded. Do the will of God that you may receive what is promised. Keep on running. Keep on running for Jesus' sake. And then focus on the return of Christ. (laughs) This is so beautiful. For yet a little while, and the coming one, who's that? Jesus, the coming one, will come. In a little while, the coming one will come. He will not delay. Keep on running because Jesus is coming. Focus on that. And lastly, focus on reliance on Christ. Rely on Christ. Press into Christ. But we are not, verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. See that. That's the most quoted verse out of the Old Testament in the New Testament. This is the most quoted verse from Habakkuk. You better read Habakkuk. You're going to meet him in heaven. He's going to ask you, did you read my book? He's going to ask you, okay? You want to read Habakkuk, all right? What did he say? 
the just shall live by faith. He lives out. She lives out of her faith. Do you need some encouragement? (laughs) This is a fearful passage. But listen to this. Church, listen. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You may not have much faith. It's not the amount of faith you have. It's the reality of the faith you have. Is it real? What's faith? It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus. I want to ask you. You've messed up so many times. But do you have in your heart, I feel like going back, but I can't go back. I'm tempted. Sometimes it seems too hard. I I can't believe how many times I mess up. If I were God, I would already throw me in hell. I don't know what to do, but the one thing I can't do, I can't leave Jesus. I just can't. I can't do it. I cannot walk away from my Savior. If that's your heart, you're not an apostate. And praise God for it. Because your heart's saying, Lord, people are leaving you. You remember? When Jesus was giving out the bread and fish, oh, crowd. Woo! Name it, claim it. Prosperity theology. Found the Mac Daddy who's going to give everything we want. But when he started talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood, take up your cross and follow me, die to yourself so that you may live, people started saying, whoa, 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 whoa. What about that new house? <laughs> I thought it was going to, what about that, what about my investments going perfectly? Uh, what, what about I give you a little, you give me a lot? I thought that's the way it works. I uh-huh. Dying? Surrender? Not, not give up my freedom? Take up what? A cross? Wasn't talking about jewelry. I don't think so. They walked away. What did Jesus say? Are you going to leave me too? God bless old Peter. God bless him. Sometimes he just opened his mouth to change feet. (laughs) But God bless him. You know what he said? Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're not going, Jesus. We may get killed over this. They may nail us to a cross. They may rip us in two. They may strip the skin off of us. They may boil us in oil. May crucify us on an X-shaped cross. 
may crucify us upside down, may drown us in water, may tear us apart by horses. That's what happened to the apostles. But they said, we're not leaving. Oh, friend, Jesus is worth it. Don't leave him. Don't leave him. 